0: Even men like Talon Cod occasionally make mistakes. This is the Chimera. Launch the attack. Time to go to work.
1: You won't let me get killed, will you? Is that what I was supposed to be doing here? I should have brought my lightsaber.
2: You are listening to Episode 18 of Star Wars Bookworms, your source for discussion and reviews of all new Star Wars releases from Dark Horse Comics and Delray Books. I'm your host, Teresa Delgado, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Aaron Goins.
1: Hey, Teresa. How are you doing tonight?
2: Good. How are you?
1: I'm doing great. Unfortunately, I have to apologize to our listeners. My audio is not going to sound as great this episode because I got snowed in and was not able to go get my good microphone.
2: Don't worry about it. We'll roll on. So we have a really cool guest, and um, he's a good friend of mine. And one of the first people that I met in Star Wars fandom, other than Aaron, I actually met them at the same convention, and he's really taken me under his wing and embraced the fact that I'm a female Star Wars collector, and he's a huge Star Wars collector himself, Mr. Dan Curto.
0: Hello. How are you guys?
2: We're good. (laughs) That's quite an intro. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. You're not lost today, so I don't have to say, where's Curdo?
0: No, that was a different show.
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah. I forgot about that.
0: (laughs) Those days are over.
2: Oh. Well, we wanted to talk to Dan a little bit about his fandom and Star Wars and how he got started and, of course, collecting and things like that. Um, But I guess the first good question would be, when did you become a Star Wars fan?
0: In 1977, when I saw Star Wars on the big screen for the first time. Had no idea what the movie was about because I was a little kid. And my dad took my sister and I to see this movie. I don't know that my sister became such a huge fan, but I easily was was like oh my god this is awesome i don't really understand some of this stuff but it is really cool lightsabers and stormtroopers and sand people and all that you know craziness from the first film and uh i just saw it in the theater like probably 25 times or something crazy like that and uh it's been part of my life ever since really
1: so you're an original trilogy fan you got to go see the movies at the theater in their original release Yes, I have
0: seen all of them on the big screen. um, And starting with episode uh, six, I saw them all either on opening day or midnight. Or even in in the case of episode three, I saw it a week ahead of time.
2: (laughs) Aren't you just special?
0: (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. I got a press invite.
2: (laughs) Does that include the Clone Wars movie?
0: The Clone Wars movie, I saw that... um, when did i see that i saw that opening weekend there was a uh, oh no i'm sorry i saw that at a at a preview um in in town because they had sent out uh, the radio station had uh passes that you could sign up for and That's i was cool. fortunate to uh know someone who had some of those
2: yeah, I think um, the Clone Wars movie for me was a really cool movie, but you know, you expected it to start the same way as all the other movies, and then the song was different, and now right. and it threw me off so bad. But now with the TV show, it doesn't bother me anymore.
0: <laughs> it's it's weird, isn't it? Because the Star Wars opening uh, song, Twentieth Century Fox, that's as much Star Wars to me as anything that John Williams has made.
2: I think it is for a lot of people.
0: Yeah. So, I, well, we're in a new era of Star Wars fandom now, so I don't think uh, we're going to be hearing 20th Century Fox fanfare anymore.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe yeah. not. But, well, I, it's going to be interesting what they decide to do. hmm So do you have a favorite movie?
0: Well, The Empire Strikes Back, of course.
2: I knew it. I knew <clears throat> of that.
0: Course. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know... <laughs> That was Now, as a kid, this one, I don't think I saw opening day. Um, I seem to recall seeing it in the movie theater, and we missed the first few minutes of it. So I stayed through the cleanup or kick everybody out, and then they showed it the second time. I stayed through that uh, halfway through the theater and then went outside and expected my mom to be waiting there for me. (laughs) Of course, she was freaking out, didn't know where I was. (laughs) she's like i thought you got robbed or somebody stole you i'm like no i watched the movie i wanted to see the whole thing
2: <laughs> that just sounds like a like a curdo moment
0: <laughs> well i mean i let's see in, in in 1980 i was 12 so yeah i was old enough to know better but i didn't care
1: so since you are i would say kind of known as the premier collector of star wars what is it sure. about collecting that that you know kind of get you going what what is it that you like so much
0: well i've always collected since i was a kid and you know part of part of that was i would i would collect the action figures and the trading cards and the comic books and i wanted to follow along the adventures uh and a lot of the kids in my neighborhood they they were also collectors you know we all had the action figures um and we had kind of teamed up and created a strategy that we would convince our parents to each buy us different things. So if you bought one of the vehicles, it came with a little catalog of all the other toys that were in the line. And we would use that as a checklist of sorts and say, OK, so I'm going to get my parents to buy me the Millennium Falcon. You get your parents to buy you the Death Star. You get your parents to buy you a, a land speeder. You know what I mean? So between all of us, we had the entire collection, but no one person had everything. Until we got older and everybody kind of started stopped collecting for a little while, uh, but I still did. So I ended up getting from my friends all of the toys for for the whole collection, uh, at least from the original Star Wars line and most of uh, The Empire Strikes Back. And I still have figures that on the bottom of their feet have initials on them, so we knew like this is Dan, so there's a D. This is Timmy, so there's a T. You you know what I mean? That's awesome.
2: That's a that's a really cool way to go about collecting. (laughs) Very smart.
0: Well, you know, I they're all in played with condition, so the the paint is chipped, and we'd buried some of them in the dirt or in the snow, and put them underwater, that type of stuff. Uh, So so they're not mint in any means but i will never replace them
2: but don't they mean more like regardless of the fact that they're meant when you have a connection to them and memories with them and stuff
0: yep i mean these are these are the vintage kenner figures are the ones that i played with as a child and i've got them in a tub right over here you saw my studio it's kind of a mess but uh all my figures are stored in these clear um plastic boxes that I can look through and I can see okay so those figures that is from the Star Wars saga line from 2002 that's Power of the Jedi that's episode 1 I just know which ones they are and all the vintage figures I have they're all packaged with the to- with the accessories that they came with and I just always have collected them and it's followed me through 35 years now
2: so I don't remember this, but are you an on-card collector or do you take them off?
0: Well, I used to run a photo archive <laughs> that uh, I would photograph everything loose, as you know, carded, and then you open it up and loose. So I am a loose collector. I have very few um, toys that are still in the box or still on the card, yes. but I do have a couple. I do have a couple.
1: I don't consider myself much of a collector, but the stuff that I do collect, I definitely open. I can never understand how people can leave them in the package. Like, I have to take it out and play with it.
2: I'm right. the exact same way.
0: I think you appreciate it. I mean, well, I know plenty of collectors that are both, um, you know, sides of that. But uh, I, for me personally, I like to hold them in my – there's nothing like that new plastic smell. As as an action figure collector, you open it up and it's like, yes, that's the good stuff. <laughs> it's kind of uh, how I it, feel
2: about books.
0: Right, right. That has a certain smell to it that it associates some kind of, you know, pleasure center in your brain, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, new digital comics, not so much.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so what's the your favorite piece that you have?
0: That's a tough one.
2: You have to pick one.
0: That That is a very, very tough one. Um, I a couple years back, I ran a contest of sorts that uh, fans could choose what their favorite action figure was. And this was from the 1995 through 2006. And... The winner winning figure was a 1998 Dark Trooper figure that that was part of from the expanded universe. And I have that figure carded still. I have a couple of them, but this one is carded and it is signed by members of the Hasbro team because I helped with that, you know, with that with that particular contest. And so that's one I will never open.
2: That's Um, a really cool thing. I
0: I thought that was, yeah, that's kind of fun. And uh, I also have an Obi-Wan Kenobi from the Clone Wars line that was signed by Dave Filoni, which nowadays, that's not so hard to get that autograph, but I got that before the Clone Wars was, like, you know, very popular. It was, like, just come out, and I had met him prior to the show, so it was kind of like, this is kind of cool, because nobody really knows who this guy is right now. (laughs) Fast forward five years, everybody knows who he is. <laughs> um, but, I mean, action figure-wise, those are probably some of my favorites. Non-action figure-wise, um, that's that's a real tough one. I know. You know? Yeah, I do. Oh.
2: You're Marvel squinky. <laughs> Well, that's not Star Wars,
0: but yes My Wolverine (laughs) squinky is One of my favorite things that I have In my entire collection (laughs) Uh, Plus, I mean, I also have A few of the uh, Sketch cards that I did for Tops, So those are kind of cool too Because I actually illustrated those
2: Yeah, I need to figure out why I don't Have any of your sketch cards
0: (laughs) Uh, Maybe you didn't get lucky (laughs) I don't know. There's a few on eBay.
2: <laughs> yeah, I need to go on eBay and look. Yeah. So since this show kind of focuses on EU, we wanted to ask you a little bit about your, I guess, kind of fandom within the EU, favorite books, comics, those kind of things. I know you used to read comics a lot. Do you have a favorite comic series?
0: Well, let us let me start from, from the beginning again. I mentioned earlier that uh, when I was a kid growing up, I collected the comic books, and I still have those. The big giant treasury editions, I even have the digest editions, the individual Marvel comics as they came out. A lot of them are ripped and torn at this point, uh, but I still have those. I do have the reprints that they had come out with uh, several several years back. But, you know, this, this was the expanded universe before there even was called the expanded universe. Um, The very first EU character was a character named Crimson Jack from Marvel Comics number seven. And nobody even remembers him. (laughs) (laughs) You know, when they think of that Marvel era, they think Jackson because he's the goofiest character that there is. And he's often made fun of. But I love that character because that was a way for the child in me to really kind of Get excited, because here's this guy, he's kind of weird. And people think he's kind of goofy and funny and everything. In the comics, he was kind of a badass. He didn't really have like a goofy, funny personality. Uh, but anyway, my favorite comic book storyline, uh, probably the first Darth Maul series from Dark Horse. I really like that. I like the story. I like the artwork on it. Pretty much anything Jan Dersema does, I'm a huge fan of.
1: That's a series yeah. that he um, he infiltrates the, uh, what is it? Black Sun. Black Sun, right. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, that, that was a great yeah. series.
0: And I really like the character of Quinlan Voss. So anything that he appeared in, I always tracked down and read. Um, there was a time, I mean, I've collected a lot of comic books over the years, but there was a time uh, after I had gotten married and uh, my kids were growing up, I didn't uh, buy any comic books for a while except Star Wars books. So, you know, the three or four titles that they came out with, those are the only ones that I really went to the store and bought. So around that time period, you know, Quinlan Voss was one of the main characters. ki Mundi was one of the main characters. This was during the early prequel years. And once the films ended, they kind of stopped doing Stories from that time period, and sort of went in different time periods with legacy and dark times. And I'm sure you guys have talked about all this before. But uh, I always tried to keep up with any of that stuff.
2: Have you read any of the Dawn of the Jedi stuff?
0: I have not read any of that yet because I like to nowadays. I like to read the trades.
2: That's what we do. Yeah. So, and I think because we've done we covered the first trade, right? Yes. Yes, we
1: did. And I think we've covered the second, two.
2: Yeah, because they're on the third arc right now. Yeah, so, so yeah. So we've done the first two. Yeah, uh, I'm behind.
1: So, Dan, do you uh, do you read the current novels that are coming out? Are you into the novels? I used to be. Um,
0: I I've, I've used to read all of the books, starting with Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Again, this is going way back. All the Han Solo books, the Lando books. Uh, when all the x-wing books were being published in the mid to late 90s I was very into all that and then right after episode one came out there was this new Jedi order mm-hmm. I'm sure you're familiar with that well there was just too many books to read <laughs> 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 because it was it was very tough to try and keep up with all that and this is you know early 2000s you could kind of, not read the book but still follow along what was happening because everybody was posting everything online synopsises of everything and, and now you have wikipedia pretty much telling you the whole storyline of i'm like okay so i don't need to go get the book i could just kind of read this which was kind of cool um but occasionally i would still track down some of the books i did i think the last book i read was darth Plagueis.
1: how did you like that one
0: i loved different kind of character and different uh you know point of view and in a weird way it actually makes episode one a better movie
1: yeah i completely agree that's what a lot of people say
0: yeah and i I, well i yeah i didn't make that line up but i i'm just (laughs) repeating it it's definitely true and it makes you kind of think of um palpatine differently naboo differently uh compared to what we saw on screen and as a matter of fact, I have uh, the action figure of Darth Plagueis sitting right here that Corey had sent me. So, thank you, Corey.
2: That's actually one of the ones that I do want yeah. from the new line, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you say it like that?
2: <laughs> well, because the the Black Series hasn't been like super-duper awesome, not because of Hasbro's fault, but because I can't find anything. <laughs> Well, Except for Biggs. Except for Biggs.
0: <laughs> well, they want to make sure that you have the Bigs so you, he can pilot the X-Wing fighter that I'm sure you didn't buy.
2: <laughs> it is what it is. But um, we do have two... Things that we're going to cover on this show. And we're going to be talking about Ewok's The Shadows of Endor and then the reference guide, The Death Star Owner's Technical Manual. And as always, this is our spoiler policy. We typically wait about a month after a release date to review a book or a comic. And um, so if we're reviewing it, then expect full spoilers. The Ewok's Shadows of Endor has been out since October and the Death Star Manual has been out since November. So I think we're in the clear.
1: We are definitely in the clear. (laughs) (laughs)
2: so our first one is Ewok Shadows of Endor and I've been very excited to cover this one it was released October 9th of 2013 and the writer and the artist are the same guy his name is Zach Giolongo and the timeline is about three years after the Battle of Yavin and this is the publisher summary until now the Ewoks had been able to ignore the arrival of the Empire Stormtroopers on Endor but when they discover their rivals, the Dulox have been enslaved and a legendary beast has been awakened, the Ewoks realize that they may have to prepare for war as soon as they figure out how to survive the beast. And can I just say, I loved it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you're supposed to wait until the end to tell us if oh, you loved it or not. Oh,
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> i know, I know that you're excited about this one, Teresa. You've been waiting and waiting to cover this Ewoks comic.
2: Because I'm a total Ewok dork. That's why.
1: So, have you guys? Because this isn't the first, you know, Ewoks material that we've gotten since Return of the Jedi. Obviously, that we had the, the Ewoks cartoon that was out when we were kids. Well, I don't know, Teresa. How old were you when the Ewoks cartoon was out? Did you watch that?
2: Um, I don't know if I watched it when it aired. Um, I will, I will work on that while you discuss, and then I will get back to you because let me find out when it aired. But I know that I've seen it because I have it.
1: But you don't remember watching it as a child?
2: 84, I I think. I do remember watching it as a kid, but I wasn't born until 85, so um, I may have watched... My grandma was notorious for recording things, so I probably watched it on TV and thought it was live, but it was actually like a Betamax tape that I was watching. Mm. Um, But I did watch it. It was 85 to 87, so... I mean, in '85, I wouldn't have remembered because I was like itty bitty and didn't watch TV. But I've seen it.
1: How about you, Dan? Did you watch? Do you remember watching that show uh, when it first came out? I have.
0: I have never watched the show.
1: I do remember the show being on, but I don't remember anything about it other than the the theme song. That song always stuck in my head, so that's the thing I remember most about it when I was a kid.
2: I think it's interesting because, you know, it was kind of like the Droids cartoon. It, it kind of gets a bad rap, but it, it was actually a good cartoon, and and I really liked it. But um, I also like things like Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends. So I don't (laughs) don't know what that says about me. (laughs) But anyway, back to the comic book. It has a lot of the characters that we all would recognize from, um, you know, movies, toys and comic books and cartoons. Um, People like Tebow Lagre, Princess Kenisa, um, Wicket's Girlfriend. (laughs) Spoiler! Spoiler! Well, I mean, they don't show it in the comic book, but um, that is Wicket is, um, does end up getting married to Princess Kinesa, I believe. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Look at all the weird stuff I know. So um, not at
0: this point, though.
2: No, they're still walklings. Yes. That would be a baby Ewok or a, a young Ewok for people who don't know.
1: <laughs> I thought it was interesting, the, the art style that they went with in the comic book because it's not really the same as the cartoons, but then it's obviously not realistic looking like from the movies. So it's it kind of falls somewhere in between, almost like kind of like the Clone Wars comics that have come out, uh, kind of that more cartoony look.
2: Yeah, definitely it does, and it has some. I think the way it was drawn was drawn really well. I actually really like the art. It kind of it does remind me though of like late eighties, early nineties cartoons.
0: With the stylized and the action. Yeah. In the drawing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I actually really enjoyed the art. I think it I think it was perfect for the story. It fit very well.
2: Now one of the things I've always found kind of interesting that they'd show in the comic books and then in some of the um I think it's in the cartoon too, is their use of magic that the Ewoks use because we know that um, Lagre is the, I don't know what you would call that. Um,
0: it's the Ewok medicine man.
2: Right. But like the Ewok medicine man and don't Indians in traditional history, like isn't that the medicine man that does the like smoke characters in the fire and uh-huh. all that kind of stuff. So I think it's kind of interesting that they work that in that sort of primitive magic type stuff um i actually really liked it because i like anything that has magic in it and things like that but i just think it's sort of interesting because you don't really get any other species until you get into the um, clone wars with the night sisters that have any kind of uh magic right in the star wars universe
1: so do you think and it's magic know. or is it just the force being used in a different way
2: Ooh, well, you have to get all fancy and ask me yeah. questions to, to make Well, no,
1: I think that, I mean, if you're going kind of by the expanded universe definition of it, they've always explained any of these, you know, any kind of magic that's in the universe is just the Force being used in a different way. Although the Clone Wars kind of contradicted that with the Night Sisters, and uh, I know in some interviews that Filoni did, he said it was magic, and I guess Lucas, George Lucas wanted to differentiate between magic and the Force. So, I guess it depends on what source you're going by.
2: Well, I know there are Ewoks that are really Force-sensitive in the EU. Um, I think there was one by the name of, I think his name is like Grawl or Grail or something, and he's, I don't, I don't think he was a Jedi, but he was a really Force-sensitive Ewok. I feel like there's
1: certain species that should never be Jedi, and Ewok is one of them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) For a while, Lucas himself agreed with you and felt that uh, Wookiees should not be Jedi, although he forgot that there were many novels written about Wookiee Jedi already, so he changed his stance on that.
2: I pulled up this Ewok, and they said that um, he had a a force sensitivity that allowed him to view glimpses of the future. He didn't know anything about the force or anything like that, but he was sensitive to the force without really knowing about it. So it's very possible that could be what all of the Ewoks have is a, or some of them have a force sensitivity that they don't understand or have understood it as magic.
1: Right. And then you have the, uh, in the comic as well, there's the character that they... They meet up with uh, that's a Night Sister named Cheryl.
2: <laughs> right.
1: Who I think uh, she actually shows up in one of the Ewok movies, which is something we didn't talk about. She does. Have mm-hmm. you guys seen the Ewok movies? Yes.
2: Yes. I own them in the double pack that they came together.
0: <laughs> I, I actually liked that quite a bit because it was a nice nod of, uh, you know, th- that. Movie is not, like, you know, necessarily the most uh, exciting movie that they've done. But uh, it was kind of cool that they acknowledged that. And also, um from the Ewok movies was the character Chuka, who appears in the beginning of the story. Mm-hmm. And Chuka Truck was one of the Ewoks that joined uh, Wicket and company on their Caravan of Courage.
2: Caravan of Courage. Well, you know, there's there's something to be said about Ewoks. They are... They definitely have courage in their small little form. And they do a lot of really cool stuff. So, and uh, the one thing I liked about the story is that they, even though the the Dulocs are kind of like, I don't know if it's really like their enemy, but they definitely don't see eye to eye. They're such good hearted, um, good hearted species that they weren't going to let them suffer. And I thought that was a really nice message. You know, that even though you don't get along with somebody all the time, you know, you just don't let them perish.
0: Well, Chirpa didn't seem to really want to keep that one Duloc around. He seemed to want him slaughtered.
2: Yeah, he Chirpa (laughs) Chirpa was a little bit on the ruthless side, but I think that's one of the things that Wicket has always shown is, you know, how how different he is from maybe some of the rest of the of the Ewoks. And um, he's He's almost more human and has a has a heart deep down in there. But Princess Kenisa was the same way. And then I don't remember I don't remember the name of the other girl that's a that has like a feather in her and um, like her headband. Latara. Oh yeah, Latara. Yeah, I like she was, her.
0: She was friends with Nisa back. See, I didn't watch the old cartoons, but oh. I did read the comics that they had come out with back in the Marvel days. And I think she was uh, one of the characters in there too.
2: And um, what about the ending? Did you guys like the last few cells that were eight months later? Yeah. <laughs> I always thought, well, that's extremely fitting. And actually my favorite drawn cell of the whole entire comic, in the book version, it's on page 75 and it's the one with Wicket where he's holding his spear looking really scared. And then you turn the page and you see him poke something. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and that's also one of my favorite scenes from Return of the Jedi. So I think it was really fitting. And he's just really cute in that picture.
0: One thing I thought was interesting, and, and I don't know if they do this all the time, but the dialogue from the humans was all in the brackets, which is usually like a translated Mm-hmm. Uh, copy and all of the Ewok language was, of course, in you know English for 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 reading purposes. But I thought that was kind of an interesting way to do it because you know they don't uh, they don't speak any language that humans would necessarily understand. So all the humans were like, um, yeah, we don't get it.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, they speak Ewokese. Yep. So and then it makes me wonder. Well, I guess do the Doolock speak Ewokese? I guess so because probably so I guess some final thoughts Aaron
1: I thought it was really good I really enjoyed it I mean it's definitely written more for kids than it is for adults but I found the story really interesting I thought the you know the different tie-ins to to other materials was nice I I I like the fact that they brought Charles back and um kind of some of the stuff with her with the um you know showing her bringing these skeletons out of the ground you know, it was kind of a little bit of a, a, a throwback to the, the episodes of the Clone Wars where they had that, that uh, Dathomir witch that was able to raise the dead, like kind of the zombie Dathomir, you know, people. So I thought that was kind of a cool tie-in there as well. And whenever she was using her magic, you know, it was kind of that green smoke, which also was the way that it looks in the Clone Wars. So... But yeah, overall, I thought the, the comic was really cool. I really liked the tie-in at the end, how it kind of goes right into Return of the Jedi. And um, yeah, so I definitely would recommend it if you haven't checked it out yet.
2: Okay, and Dan?
1: Yeah, I mean, I,
0: I agree. It was definitely a cute little story. Um, sort sort of a one-off uh, prequel, if you will, to Return of the Jedi, which was kind of neat. But I also liked how it tied into the animated series and the live-action films. Also, they mentioned some of like some of the other characters, Charal and Chuka, and uh, the Wistie Oh
2: yeah, the Wistie there.
0: So that was kind of neat. And then at the very not at the very end, but the the end of the main story. Uh Tebow gets his his horn, which we saw him use in the film. Yeah. So that was kind of a a neat little thing for those paying attention to, you know, some of the characters. And then Pat has a line where he says, oh, man, I want to ride one of those speeder bikes, (laughs) which was kind of cute, I thought.
2: Well, and as for me, um, being the resident Ewok lover, I really liked it. I thought it was cute. I thought all of the Ewoks looked really good, and I think they were represented well. And as everyone has said, um, you know, it ties in really nicely to Return of the Jedi. And I think that um, Zach Giolongo did a really good job probably researching everything and trying to make sure there were those tie-ins for the, the fans that have been around for a long time and then also make it. Um, accessible for younger fans too. So I think it was done really well. And if you haven't gotten a chance to check it out, you can pick it up at your local comic book store. Or you can buy it on Dark Horse um, Digital. And actually, if your local comic book store doesn't have it, like mine didn't have it, just ask them if they can order it. And I'm sure they will because they did it for me.
1: Did you so. get the... So you have the hard copy of it? Oh, I had to. Is it um, the size of it? Is it like a digest size or is it a full page?
2: It's... It's like the same size as like the little the Clone Wars Adventures books. Okay. Um, it's about the same size and about the same width as those. So and on, it says it's seven ninety nine U S. So.
1: Yeah. I, the sad thing is that I I really would like to see more of these comics, more Ewoks comics. But Me too. With the with the license going over to Marvel, probably not going to happen anytime soon.
2: Nope. So this could be a collector's item. So go get it. That's
0: it. Isn't that kind of funny, because when, when the Ewoks were first introduced, they were probably among the most hated race f- among fans. And now, fast forward all these years, they're one of the most loved.
1: I yeah. think
2: they are. I've I been hard-pressed to find someone that actually doesn't like them anymore.
1: And I think a lot of it has to do with when you became a fan. And I know like Return of the Jedi was kind of the most memorable of the Star Wars movies to me when I was younger. And I grew up kind of... You know, at the I was at right at the right age where the Ewoks to me were really cool. So mm-hmm. I think for me personally, I've always liked the Ewoks and thought they were they were fun. And I I just was the right age. But obviously, people that were older at that time probably looked at them kind of the way people look at Jar Jar Binks.
2: <laughs> right, hey, I like right. Jar Jar Binks.
1: You like everybody.
2: <gasps> I do not like everyone. <laughs> I don't. Um, but the only, the only problem I have with Ewoks is that any, I really want an Ewoks plush, but every time they make a plush Ewok, his face is always like squished in. And I realize it's because their faces are not, you know, they don't have long noses or anything like that, but they could give some dimension to their cheeks and their nose, you know, so that they come out a little bit from their face instead of just being like flat smushed up on their, you know, y'all you know what I'm talking about. Like, why do they have to be so f- smushy?
1: Well, when I was a kid, I will admit that one of my favorite toys that I had was a, a very large uh, Ewok stuffed animal or s- teddy bear, whatever you call it. But yeah, I don't know who the character was, though. I know my mom got it for me, but I think it was maybe even a girl Ewok. <laughs> <laughs> but I really liked it. I thought it was awesome.
2: Well, I really want one. I just want one that doesn't have a smushed face. So I'm contemplating if I buy one, maybe I can cut it, cut it open, you know, and stick some more stuffing in there and, you know, push its nose out and oh then my. re-sew it, you know, so that it has like a more of a face.
0: Do you uh, do the Build-A-Bears? Maybe they could, uh, you know, hook you up with some custom design.
2: <laughs> right. I, <laughs> I have like four Build-A-Bears. Um. Well, I have a, I have not, they're not bears, but um. Right. I do have one bear, but it's not a Build-A-Bear. Anyway, that's not the point. on
1: this episode of build a bear cast
2: (laughs) (laughs) okay let's talk about this
1: death star manual
2: (laughs) and blow up all of my stuffed animals all right so the next thing up is the star wars death star imperial ds1 orbital battle station owner's technical manual long name (laughs) Otherwise known as the Death Star Manual. It was released November 5th, 2013. It was written by Ryder Wyndham and it was illustrated by Chris Reef and Chris Trevis. So um, the publisher summary is Using a brand new full color cutaways providing a unique view inside the moon sized marvel, together with other art and photographs, the Death Star Owner's Workshop Manual provides the most thorough technical description of the Death Star available making it essential reading for all Star Wars fans. The Death Star is a spherical space station the size of a small moon, highly armored and armed to destroy anything from enemy spaceships to whole planets. Using cutaway drawings, exploded diagrams, and photographs, backed by detailed technical specifications and descriptions of the onboard systems, the Death Star owner's workshop manual reveals the technology contained within and lays bare the awesome power and weaknesses of the empire's ultimate weapon sorry it change pages
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so dan yes sir i know you said you hadn't actually read this one no but as a collector i was wondering are there any death star related c- items that you collect that you uh or that are part of your collection that you're proud of
0: oh my yes
1: <laughs> tell us tell us about them.
0: um Well, I mean, the the very first one would be the Kenner Death Star space station that uh, was actually like kind of a wedge of one. But if you got a few of them, you could put them together to form a complete circle. But, yeah, I don't really know anybody that did that. But I always loved that playset. This is back when Star Wars figures had playsets. Uh, they don't really do that so much anymore. But this one had, if you're not familiar, this one had uh, four different levels to it to kind of recreate key scenes from the film. They had a, a trash compactor that could actually slide out into its own separate little thing, and it had little foam pieces of, of garbage and a little plastic uh, Dianoga uh, trash monster inside, which was really cool. Um, second level was a control room. The third level was... Kind of weird that it was above the control room But it was the chasm that you could swing across Complete with a little plastic rope That you could hook around Luke's hand And he would swing across And then the top level was a gunner station So you could put your stormtrooper up there And, and fire away at the X-Wings But what really tied it all together Was there was a working elevator That could bring your figures up to each level As, as it uh, you know he wanted to go to see what was going on mm. That was always fun
2: Well, we learned from the Death Star manual that those elevators are called turbo lifts.
0: Turbo lifts. Yes, that's true. I knew that. that. But um, as one that I'm actually quite proud of is I have a different Death Star playset that was created by a company called Palatoy and released in the UK. And it's completely made out of cardboard. Oh, Wow. And you basically get all the pieces together and you have to assemble it into this pretty elaborate uh, dome-shaped um, uh, space station that had four or, uh, four or five different sections uh, that you could put your action figures on. Now, it didn't have any like parts to it, but if you slid one of the pieces, you could sort of create a triangular-shaped trash compactor that would squish the heroes, which was, which was kind of cool. Um, And then there was a gun up on top of it, which was really kind of a cheat because the the cannons were um, the cannons from the X-Wing fighter. Yeah. But still kind of cool. Non-action figure type things. I have a Star Wars Death Star Planetarium.
2: Oh, that thing is really cool.
0: Yes, I know. That's why I'm mentioning it. It was really cool. And then um, a, a really strange little thing that uh, I forget which restaurant had. It. it was it was like Taco Bell or Kentucky Fried Chicken, something like that, Burger King maybe. Um, it was a Death Star that had a sort of a, a, a plunger on the side of it that when you squeezed it, it broke off into four different parts and it spun around. And sparks flew from the inside of it, so you could simulate the Death Star blowing up.
2: I actually think I had that.
0: It was one of the fast food restaurants. Yeah.
2: I think it was Burger King.
0: (laughs) Quite possibly. Um, But I I don't even remember where I got it. I think it was around the time that the Special Editions came out. And uh, I always thought it was really cool. I I have, I think, two of those somewhere.
2: Well, um, and do you have anything that's Death Star?
1: I really don't. I <laughs> <laughs> I, I have uh, I have a very limited collection of Star Wars toys. I, I, I decided early on in my Star Wars fandom that I could not afford to be a collector <laughs> of Star Wars um, in the way that many people are. I just, uh, just didn't have the money to, to buy all that stuff, so I kind of decided to go kind of the route of the books and comics and I do buy most of that stuff but when it comes to the figures I typically only pick up things if I just think it'll look cool on my bookshelf or if it'll look cool on my desk at work you know I have some some of the mighty mugs and the uh uh, what were those unleashed figures that they Mm. did like I have I have a, a bunch of those so you know I have a decent amount I definitely couldn't compare myself to any major collector and I don't think I have any Death Star items
2: Mm. Hmm. Um, Just for um, sake of conversation I think I found it Um, it looks like they came from Taco Bell but the person that listed them said Taco Bell lot of 11 Happy Meal toys and I'd just like to point out that um, Taco Bell does not have Happy Meals
1: It
0: was from Taco Bell in 1997 called the Exploding Death Star and it was part of the toys that came out for the special edition releases
2: That's so cool. I love toys from from like kids' meals. Anyway. Do
0: you remember these okay.
2: (laughs) No, no toy. We can talk toys all day long. Right. Do you remember the super
0: deformed figures that Burger King came out with in two thousand five? Yes.
2: Oh my gosh. Awesome. I have the Darth Vader one.
0: (laughs) I have them all.
1: (laughs) Well, I actually I actually worked at a Taco Bell when the Phantom Menace was coming out. So when they had all those toys. I I I was able to get anything that I wanted because I worked there, but I actually still have my Phantom Menace Taco Bell hat that I used to wear when I worked the drive thru.
2: That's cool. <laughs> now now we need to do a show called When Aaron Worked at Taco Bell. Yeah.
1: Hey, everybody had those kind of jobs when they were a teenager, right? I yeah.
2: I worked at Target. Does that count?
1: Yeah, Target. Sure. sure. <laughs> Why not?
2: Well, but, you would um, think, you know, I worked at Target that I would have been able to get cool toys. It didn't work that way.
1: I actually did work at Target, too, part-time. And um, I did. I was able to, like, as the Star Wars toys were coming in, like, as the boxes would come off the pallets, I'd always open them up and, and take out all the best figures and save them.
2: <laughs> That's what happens to them. That's why they That's never a, end That, up that is definitely what happens
1: to them. After working at a, a place like that, I realized that we had customers that would come in and specifically you know, make friends with the stock boys and things like that so they could get the first, you know, first dibs on stuff as it came through the door. So that's the reason why you're not finding stuff on the shelves because you have to have an in. You have to know somebody that works there.
2: Well, I had um, the Lego Death Star at one point in time and noticed that I said had. Um, Which one? The one that's out now because I got it in 2011. Okay. However, I sold it in 2012, the only Star Wars thing I've ever sold. Um, but I, so- I sold it so I could pay off my photographer for my wedding. <laughs> so I shall be... Well, replacing- I'd say you got a
0: good deal because I've seen those photos quite a bit.
2: <laughs> yes. So yeah. I, uh, I have to buy it again and I will. I will get it again and I will have it and it will get built. But that's like the only thing I can think of. I almost bought the Think Geek Dust Star plushie the other day. But instead I got an X-Wing and an AT-AT. Okay, so we should talk about the book. Yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> well, this book is kind of interesting. It's, it's kind of like a reference guide in-universe, you know, written in-universe. Similar to, I guess, some of the essential guides that come out, but really on a much smaller scale. They call it a Haynes Manual which is a little bit misleading because if anyone's ever had a Haynes manual of a car, it really goes through like every single technical detail of how to fix that car. And this, this owner's technical manual is more kind of just an overview of uh, the history of the Death Star, as well as it goes through like the different parts of the Death Star, but on a big overview level, as opposed to getting into the very nitty gritty details. But I think if it, you know, obviously, that's the way they had to go at it because they couldn't, you know, release a book that covered every little detail of the Death Star because it's such a, a giant, you know, vehicle that that book would probably be over a thousand pages long. Yeah. But, so, if anyone's buying this expecting that it's going to teach them how to fix their Death Star if they ever buy a Death Star, it's not really what you're getting.
2: It's also not going to tell you how to build one.
1: Nope, it's not
2: but it is going to tell you about all the pieces that you should have inside of it
1: yep so but i thought i mean i i thought the book was really well done and one of the things i really liked about kind of the beginning of the book was how they talked about the different vehicles that had like kind of the different super weapons i guess you could say that had come before the death star that kind of you know led to the building of the death star you know things like the eye of palpatine which anyone who, you know, is a big expanded universe fan probably has heard that, you know, term before, um, because it's from the novel Children of the Jedi. So I thought it was kinda cool that they tied in some of these elements from other parts of the expanded universe and brought them into this book and, you know, kinda tied it in. I thought that was that was neat.
2: And I really like the drawings that they used and, you know, them labeling all the different pieces of you know, the different things, like we're talking about I have Palpatine, or the Eye of Palpatine, which I have it open to right now. Actually, I really like the specifications box that's at the bottom that tells you, you know, what kind of craft it is, who the manufacturer was, you know, how big it is. And then the one thing I found kind of interesting is where it says, um, you know, what kind of crew it had, what kind of passengers were on it, if there were any, and then also the cost. But... It would have been nice if there was actually a cost to some of these things instead of all of them just saying unknown, unknown, unknown. <laughs> <laughs> there were some that had the cost, but um, you know that would have just been nice to know. Unless, you know, I guess maybe the empire didn't care how much they were spending, or maybe they didn't spend anything because they just wrong armed everybody into doing what they wanted.
1: I think those files are still sealed. <laughs> they haven't released them to the public yet. But they actually they actually reference things from pretty obscure things like uh, the West End West End Games books. You know they have the Torpedo Sphere from that, and then like the Tarkin, which is from an issue of the Marvel Comics from you oh, know yes. from the 80s. So you know I thought that was really cool to kind of throw those little nods in. So if you're you know if you're really paying attention, you, you get a kick out of it.
0: it. Seemed like a lot of the novels in the expanded universe had some kind of. Death Star or prototype Death Star or or what was the dark saber? Wasn't that uh, yeah,
1: the, the Kevin... cannon
0: of the Death Star?
1: Yeah, just. Yeah, right. Just there was the always laser. a super
0: weapon that they, they had to fight against or figure out how to blow up or something.
2: Yeah, I actually um I had never heard of the Tarkin, so I thought that was really cool. But I also thought it was neat how they went into the history of the Death Star and just like how big of a role Grand Moff Tarkin actually had in the Death Star you know, overall, um, right. I always knew he was important and I always knew that he was essential to running the Death Star, but I didn't know that it was actually kind of like his brainchild. Um, so I thought that was a really interesting, um, really interesting thing. And then, especially with his appearance in the Clone Wars and then sort of everything that happens with him, it's uh, it kind of makes you wonder you know, how much he actually knew what was going on or if he's just really that evil of a guy.
1: Oh, he is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, think he, I, think he knew, I think he knew what was going on and he definitely is an evil guy, no doubt. He was in Revenge of the Sith. Uh, did they show him on the, the bridge when they showed the Death Star, kind of the shell of yes. the Death Star?
0: I, oh. I was actually just about to say that, yes. They, uh, they had a different actor, obviously, uh, in a younger version of Tarkin. And I think he was just Governor Tarkin at the time, not yet Grand Moff. And the it, do they mention the Maw installation and all that in the book? Part I think
1: the... you're I think it does mention that. It's been a while since I've read the text from the book, um, mm. so I'm not sure if they do mention it. But I I'm pretty sure they do. I mean, they they mention like uh, Bevel Lemelisk and
2: Grace mm-hmm.
1: yep. Cenar, so they they def, like they stick to the. Kind of the established story that we know, even from the EU, about how the Death Star came about. So I'm pretty sure they mentioned them all as well. Nice. I'm kind of flipping through it now to see if I can find it. but
2: Yeah, I'm looking at it too. I think one of the things I liked is like on all the pages that sort of lead into the next particular section, it's always some sort of letter to somebody from someone. So, for instance, um where it's just talking about the Death Star, it says... Two Major Arhul Hechtrofen, Executive Secretary and Master Historian, Alliance High Command, from Lieutenant Vorin Nall, Assistant Historian, regarding the revised summary for the Death Star Battle Station. So you get kind of these really cool, sort of letter type things, you know, where they're talking to each other. Um, so it sort of takes you inside of their heads about what was going on. And. I love that aspect of it. It's something that I actually really loved about like books like The Jedi Path and Book of Sith. Um, same kind of things.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love those kind of details as well. It makes it much more readable, you know, because you feel like you're getting this inside information.
2: Yeah, it almost makes you feel like you're reading something that you shouldn't be reading, you know, because <laughs> it's, right. not, it's not for your eyes. Um,
0: Sliced from the holonet, in intercepted transmissions. Yes. <laughs>
2: Um, one thing I wanted to talk about, just because of its role in the movie and how uh, iconic that scene is, is actually the the Dianoga, because um, they do talk about it in the book. And I'm trying to go to the page; it's right here. They actually go into this whole thing about waste removal and what waste removal was like on the Death Star. Um, and of course, they show pictures of Han, Luke, and Leia inside of the and Chewie inside of the trash compactor. Um, and then they talk about. The garbage squid, um, in its own little piece, and they show a picture of what it what it fully looks like, and I just think that's really cool. Because one, I never knew its name, and two, I never knew um, what it really looked like. So now I know. They've
0: had that creature appear in a lot of the uh, video games over the years, and most memorably for me, uh, Shadows of the Empire, where you're playing Dash Rendar. And you're on Coruscant running through the sewers, uh, trying to get up to uh, the, the upper buildings. But you have to go through this whole sewer system. And there's a lot of Dianogas attacking you, including a big giant one at the end, which is
1: kind of fun. I thought it was interesting in the book, too, that they kind of reveal that the Dianoga was there for a reason. It was there to you know, help consume the the trash that's down there. But they actually breed them on the Death Star. So... It's not the only one there. Interesting.
2: Yeah, that was kind of a little bit weird.
1: So I guess there's a bunch of... I mean, I guess on on a ship that big or a vessel that big, you would need to have not just one trash compactor. So I guess maybe every trash compactor has its own Dianoga.
2: Well, then it says that, that they don't just have one. And actually, the one that um, our heroes landed themselves in was Death Star Trash Compactor 3263827.
0: Yep. (laughs) <laughs> so That is movie accurate
2: <laughs> That is movie accurate But I mean, I don't well, think I know I've heard it I just don't think I ever really realized That that meant that there was more than one
0: Gotcha Well, we know that the Star Destroyers Jettison their trash out into space I imagine a Death Star Which is considerably larger than a Star Destroyer Would not be able to do that Otherwise you'd have a planet-sized Ball of garbage Floating around So they have to get rid of it somehow
2: Right And I think one of you just brought up, you know, size. At the very back of the book, there's a size comparison chart that actually shows the size of the first first Death Star versus the size of the second Death Star. And the first Death Star is considerably smaller than the second one. And then they show things like the the Torpedo Sphere and the Tarkin and Eye of Palpatine and just how small those were. And then they show the size of... Like an imperial um, one, or is it I class or one class I class star destroyer versus mm-hmm. a super star destroyer versus Cloud City versus the Death Star. Um, so it's kind of a cool way to see everything in its you know size next to each other because you don't see all of the stuff in the same films you know next to each other. So I think that's a really neat.
0: Right, bit. and you thought the very first time you saw a star destroyer that that ship was humongous only to find out it's not even the biggest ship in the fleet.
1: Well, I think one of the first things I flipped to when I got this book was I wanted to see if they had anything about the thermal exhaust port. Because,
2: oh.
1: because I mean, that's the, the weak point that the Rebels, you know, utilized to destroy the Death Star. So I kind of wanted to see what the technical readouts of that were and maybe see if they they talked about it being a weakness or if they were aware of it being a weakness. If, you're, you know, if you get the book, it's on page 52, that they have a, a page on the thermal exhaust port. But they really don't talk about it too much, and it really doesn't get into to a lot of that detail. There was
0: a, a comic book story that uh, mentioned that as, as kind of like a joke. <laughs> and I think it was with Bevel Lemonless saying, oh, by the way, I found – I ain't got time to listen to you right now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of wondered if they would go about it that way in this book as well. But they, they, they really didn't. I think they mentioned that the designers knew that there was a chance that it might cripple the battle station if someone got a proton torpedo in there, but they didn't yeah. think it would ever destroy the battle station.
2: Yeah, here, I'll read it. It says, the Death Star's designers, knowing that an explosion within an exhaust port could trigger a chain reaction that might damage or destroy the main reactor, utilized ray shield generators to protect the exhaust ports from laser bombardment. There you go. Well, that didn't work.
1: It didn't work, yeah. <laughs> well, not against the Jedi.
2: So. so overall, I think the book did a really good job, and it was definitely an interesting read, and it's it's a cool, you um, coffee table book, or even a cool conversation piece to have um, out in your house.
1: Yeah, I like that it's hardback. Um, you know, I actually leave it on my desk at work. You know, kind of as a, a conversation piece as people come in. Uh, they, t- they look at it and think, what's this, you know, and they pick it up. So like it, it gets a lot of people flipping through it. So I like the fact that it's hardback because it'll it'll last longer that way. And it makes it more of a that coffee table type book that you can just leave out. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things I did, I thought was interesting about the book was all the images that they used from the movies. And then they kind of they, the way that they refer to it in the book is like, oh, this this image was taken from some security camera or this. This image was um, taken from the wreckage of a Tie Fighter or something like that. So, how they used images from the movies, but then still kept it in universe, I thought that was pretty good, pretty clever.
2: Very clever. But Ryder Windham's really good at doing stuff like that. So, would but, we recommend this?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think I would. I would definitely recommend it. Um, one other thing that I wanted to to point out that I thought was kind of funny was the fact that they have they have a gym in the Death Star. <laughs> <laughs> they, have a, they have a running track and a cafeteria and, and things like that. So it, it, when I got to that part of the book, I was thinking, man, there was some poor stormtrooper was doing his cardio that day, running around the track, you know, feeling good about himself. And, you know, it started getting hot in there and it blew up. So it kind of humanized it. It's like, oh, man, there's some poor guys in there working out when that thing went up. That but, is yeah. Great. That
2: is good. I I I remember reading that, but I kind of forgot about it.
1: But yeah, so back to the recommendation. I definitely would recommend it. It's a it's a great book. Put it on a coffee t- table. Use it as a conversation piece. And it's it's an easy book to kind of flip through, and browse. You know, even if you don't want to read from front to back, just to kind of browse the pictures and the different schematics and the cutouts and, and things like that. It's it's great. So I definitely would recommend it
2: yeah and I agree with you Aaron. it's not necessarily a book you have to read cover to cover um although you can but it's a cool book that you can pick up and maybe pick a section because they do have it um, organized in sections and read a little bit of stuff about the Death Star you know on a Sunday and then put it down but it's a it's a really cool it's a really cool addition to the Star Wars universe and I would say if you if you are a death Star person at all then you should definitely get it so um, Dan, where can people find you, and do you have anything upcoming, project-wise, that you want to let anyone know about? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh,
0: I, I'm all over the place these days. Wow. Well, I mean, obviously I'm on Facebook. Uh, I, don't, I don't do Twitter as much. Uh, I kind of lost interest in that. Um, but the biggest thing, probably, uh, you and I are both on Jedi News, of course— uh, we're part of the Wolf Pack now, and the biggest change, or I think what you're hinting at, is uh, the Kurt O'Burns Collectors Cast is about to be reborn as the Star Wars Collectors Cast, and we will be part of the Rebel Force Radio Network.
2: Yeah, I know. I'm so excited that you guys are joining um, the family over there.
0: Well, we're we're we've been saying we're we're getting the band back together.
2: That's true. Y'all were, we were y'all all, were all a part of one thing together. At we one were point at
0: time. we were all together at one point, and then we kind of went our separate ways for a while. And, and uh, there's been a a lot of interest in having us reunite, so uh, we're gonna we're gonna give that a shot starting next week.
2: Cool. Well on our next episode we're going to be reviewing prisoner of the floating world legacy volume two book one and also darth vader and the ninth assassin so it's going to be an all comic show so start reading it now so you can listen to it on our next episode otherwise you'll have to listen to our really super awesome intro and then stop go read and then come back if you want to find us on Twitter, we're at SW bookworms. You can also send us an email to star Wars, bookworms at gmail.com.
1: You can also like us on Facebook. Um, we do all the latest updates of star Wars books and comics over there. We post, you know, cover art or any information. Also, I'd like to point out that we just eclipsed over a thousand likes on Facebook. So we thank you for, you know, liking us there. And, uh, being involved in our community over on Facebook.
2: We were really excited about the thousand likes, so I think right here we should start playing like the Ewoks party song. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> um,
1: and we're we're getting close to a, a year, our year anniversary. We started in February of 2013, and we're getting close to February of 2014. So we should, well, and we just passed a thousand likes on on Facebook. So I think maybe our next episode we should do some sort of a. Uh, a year celebration, maybe we'll Our, give away a, a Death Star user's manual. I got one sitting here.
2: Oh, or and maybe like a poster for Darth Maul lockdown.
1: Yeah, we'll talk about it. We'll figure something <laughs> out. But you can also leave us a review on iTunes if you haven't done that yet. We would love for you to go over there, and leave us a nice uh, five-star review, and say some nice things about us. And uh, Teresa, where can they find you on Twitter?
2: Well, they can find me on Twitter. And Instagram at Ice Cold Penguin. If you like Disney stuff, my Instagram's full of it, so come on over.
1: And you can also find me on Twitter
2: at AVGoins. And as always, may the force be with you. See, we're a fun show, Dan. Well, thanks for having
0: me on. <laughs> thanks I'm for glad coming
2: on, to Dan. Have you on.